name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So we all know the million dollar question when it comes to our walk with God. And that's typically when we ask, what's God's will for me? And if I ever do a Q&A at a retreat or a meeting or anything, that's almost always bound to come up. We always ask that question and in uh, a certain phase of our life or maybe it's a recurrent theme where we wonder what God's will may be. Maybe we run into a certain situation and we're trying to really understand what God wants us to do. And in this gospel passage, we see that God makes it very clear to Joseph and he reveals his will in a dream. <laughs> and we often wish that God's will can just come to us in a dream and he speaks to us the same way that he spoke to the prophets and everything is just clear and easy. But we know that it's not as simple as just having a dream or God appearing to us and telling us do this or do that. Right? There's a little bit more to it. But I want to get into this topic today and try to learn from uh, Joseph and the Holy Family's obedience and the family's discernment to know God's will and to jump around from one place to another even though it was tough and it was a challenge to actually uh, move from one place to another. But they had that discernment and they had the sensitivity to really hear God's voice and to follow His will. Okay? So we won't be able to cover everything about God's will. This is a huge topic, but we'll try to just scratch the surface and hopefully walk away with some uh, practical tools that we can apply in our life. Okay? So I think we can start by asking ourselves whether God really has a will for us. Okay, is, is God really concerned with what I do, especially when it comes to the finer details of my life? Uh, is He concerned with what I do on a day-to-day -day basis? Or is He just concerned that I have a good job, I go to church, and that's it, the end of the day? <laughs> In Jeremiah 29.11, it's a, one of those uh, famous verses, many of you may even have it as your favorite verse. God says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And we actually have that verse on our wall and it's like, like 10 feet wide, it's huge. So this is something that, that's always like in front of my eyes, to know that God has a plan for us. And he plans our future because He cares. He loves us. He doesn't just sit up in, on His throne and He says, you know, I gave them freedom. They can do whatever I want. It doesn't matter to me, right? No, God has a plan for us and He really does care. And we see that He cares about even the number of hair on our head, Right? When it comes to what God wills for us, I think we can make a simple distinction. And especially when, when we, look, we look at how much God directs our life and what is His will for us in the grand scheme of things, 
we can make a distinction to say that God really does have a will in, in, in the ultimate or perfect sense. And there's a part where we can say the will of God permits life to continue according to our own freedom and our own choices. Okay, so there's the will of God that ultimately desires our salvation, our perfection. Like that's the perfect will of God to say that we do not sin. We say that um, he desires that all come to the knowledge of truth and to know him. That's his ultimate will, right? But if I slip and I fall and I learn from it and I even come out of that experience to be stronger, I grow in humility. Can we say that it was God's will for me to learn from that mistake? Of course. But it wasn't God's will for me to actually sin because God never wills that I step away from the light or to betray Him or to disobey Him, right? So that's an important distinction for us to keep in mind as we get into uh, this topic of God's will. But it's not like God cares for us to walk a certain path and He has us like stuck in a box. A lot of times we reduce God's will to this preset path. And unless I find the right job, unless I find God's will for the school that I'm supposed to go to, then I'm going to ruin my life and I'm going to fall away from the path that God set for me. And we complicate it. St. Augustine says, love God and do what you will. And as I say that once we are abiding in the love of God, once we submit to Him, then we're walking in truth. And in that case, we walk according to that freedom, to that will, because that freedom is in subjection to God's commandments, to God's will, to His truth. And so we're liberated in that sense. We don't try to like scrutinize our life and to analyze every little thing and then we add to our burdens and it becomes a very restricting sort of mindset. So, two specific points of um, disclosures that I, I want to also mention before I, uh, I talk about some practical tools to help us find God's will. Number one is that God's will in all simplicity, is our sanctification. God's will is for us to be holy. Just like St. Augustine is saying, love God and do what you will. If we keep it simple, we'll almost always find God's will. So don't approach God's will like this big monster that you have to battle with. Don't Think it's rocket science. Don't overcomplicate it. Just keep it simple. Archmanagerite Simeon says, Every now and then people ask, But what's God's will? I don't know the will of God. And he says, What don't you know? You don't know, for example, that you should be praying a bit more than you are now? Does anybody really need to tell you this? 
You don't know that the little prayer you do should be done with your whole heart? You don't know that you shouldn't talk back to someone? Shouldn't talk to him in a way that makes him distressed? You don't know that you should help him? You don't know what, that you should forgive him? That you should tolerate him? That you should love him? And should pray for him? You don't know that you must be patient? And that you shouldn't get angry? Do what you know. And God, seeing your sincere disposition to continually know His will, will find a way to make clear to you that which you don't know every time. So, I take from that, He's basically saying, keep it simple. God's will is for you to love, to forgive, to be sincere. And if you do all those things that are very obvious, what you don't know is reduced to just a small little fraction. And even that part will have the support of God's grace because you're genuinely seeking Him in all the simple matters of life. Right? Whenever we think of finding God's will in just big matters, we forget that God's will is about our day-to-day interactions. God's will is about how we live our life down to the little details, you know. Again, not to scrutinize what we do, but to do every little thing with love, to do every little thing with honesty and with a genuine heart. That's God's will. So, I'm not belittling the difficulty of finding God's will, especially when it comes to big matters in life, but I don't want us to overcomplicate it. And we are like professionals at complicating life. <laughs> All right, so that's number one. Number two, another little disclosure, is that seeking God's will is a lifestyle. Okay, and I started to allude to this a little bit earlier. But we have to live in God's will. We have to live in God's will. Elder Emilianus, he says that, You often hear people say that in every moment, in every event, we must seek to discover the will of God. But such an approach is rather narrow and scholastic. And in the end, it only leads you to doubt and anxieties. All it does is show that I'm troubled, worried, caught up in problems, and thus at a distance from God. Our will needs to be absorbed by the will of God. When this happens, there's no agonized question about, what God wants. Because in a certain way, I'm not, as it were, conditioned or colored by my own will, but I enact the will of God. And God's will is something very simple and within reach. There's no need for someone to worry over what it is, or how to recognize it, or how it should be acted on every single instance. When a person reaches this point, which is the basic point of departure for spiritual life, then it's easy to enter into the mindset of the Lord. So, he's trying to draw a distinction between living in God's will, totally removing my will, and just living in the will of God, as opposed to living in a way that just seeks God's will in certain matters, and then I kind of like jump from God's will to my will on a daily basis. And whenever a situation happens, I say, okay, what's God's will here? I figure it out, and then I go back to doing what I'm doing. Another situation happens, what's God's will here? And then I try to figure that out. It's almost like we're we're living in a sort of dichotomy or our life is segmentalized. But 
if we're always setting aside our own will and pursuing God's will as a lifestyle, then we don't face the anxieties that trouble us every time a situation occurs or every time there's a, a tough situation because we're already in submission to the will of God, right? And, and it becomes liberating, okay? So those two points is just don't overcomplicate it. God's will is simple. It's for you to be loving, holy, to be compassionate, to be genuine and honest. All those little things will take care of 99.9% of the decisions you make throughout your life. And the other little disclosure is that we have to always approach God's will as a lifestyle, not this sort of um, event that happens every now and then. Okay? Alright, so now, some practical steps to find God's will, to seek God's will, which... Uh, St. Silwan says, the most precious thing in the world is to know God and understand His will, even if only in part. Right? So we have to seek it because it's, it's precious. It gives our life roots. Like we feel grounded when we're living in the will of God. We have peace. We feel content. And so we always have to seek it. I want to just use... An example from Samuel the prophet to just mention a few lessons that we can walk away with in, in our practical application of seeking God's will. So in first Samuel chapter three, we see that God speaks to Samuel and he says, Samuel, Samuel, Samuel hears his voice and he runs to Eliah. And then he says, Here I am. You called. Eliah says, No, I didn't. <laughs> Go back and sleep. I didn't call you. Goes back and sleeps again. Here's the voice, Samuel, Samuel. And then he goes to Eliah. Surely you must have called. And Eliah says the same thing. <laughs> I didn't call you, but, you know, it sounds like there's more to this voice that you're hearing. So, he says, Return, lie down, my child, and if he calls you, you must say, O Lord, speak, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and fell asleep in his place. And then, in verse 10, the most beautiful little part, the Lord came, stood and called as before, so Samuel answered, Speak, for your servant hears. Alright. So there's a lot for us to take away from here the first thing that I want to mention about discerning God's will just like Joseph was able to perceive God's will in his dream and to follow God's will you see here that God speaks to Samuel just like he spoke to to Joseph not necessarily in a dream or in a vision, but in our conscience. Okay, and that's very important because that's the seat of the Holy Spirit in our conscience. And the fathers tell us over and over and over again throughout all the writings of 
the patristics that the conscience is the voice of God speaking to us. Especially whenever we are grounded in the life of the church. You know, if we don't know God, you know, we might not be sensitive to our conscience convicting us when we stray. But when we have a relationship with God, then the voice in our conscience becomes more active. And if we just listen to that voice, we'll be able to discern what God is speaking to us. Okay? The second thing is that whenever Samuel heard this voice, he went to his elder. Okay? Even though God speaks to us in our conscience, God speaks to us in various ways. We might have dreams like Joseph, but we don't trust every little voice that we hear. Right? The scripture tells us that the heart is deceiving above all things. Sometimes our heart feels one way or another, and we have different emotions. Maybe I should do this, maybe I should do that. But when we confide in our elder, in our spiritual father, our father of confession, then we bring our life to a state of submission. So out of that obedience to go to our elder and to say, here I am, what do you think I should do? We're submitting our will to God by laying it down at the feet of our father. Okay, And this is how Samuel was ultimately at a point of communicating with God. Right? He needed the advice from Eli to help him get in the right condition, the right state to hear God's voice. Okay? A lot of times we we think that, you know, if I have a relationship with God, I could just speak to God directly or whatever and God tells me whatever he wants to tell me and then we just hear whatever makes sense to us or whatever sounds convenient we take it we walk away with it and then we're basically at the mercy of our our own condition whether we are honest with ourselves whether we were deceived or whatever so we don't have the protection of grace that comes by our our humility and our obedience by submitting to our elder once we do that we're at the grace of God. Okay? And that's why as soon as Samuel heard the voice again, he says, Speak for your servant here. And then the Lord spoke to Samuel, Behold, and then he continues to tell him his message. Okay? So, again, to listen to your conscience, because in our conscience, like that convicting, convicting voice, that, that voice that penetrates and tells you, like, maybe you shouldn't have spoken in a rough way to that person. Maybe you should be spending a little bit more time reading your Bible. Or that voice that convicts you in your conscience is the voice of God. That's where the will of God is revealed. And also going to our Father of Confession to just surrender our will so that we can actually hear what God wants to tell us as opposed to following what we might subconsciously want to do. And then thirdly, and that's the last part, is simply prayer. Okay? 
In prayer, we come to discern God's will. And for Samuel to say, speak for your servant here, is the most profound prayer that we can possibly offer to God when we think of actually discerning His will, hearing it, and applying it. But unless we say, speak for your servant hears, we're going to just follow what makes sense to us. We don't really care to hear what God has to say because deep down inside, we have a will of our own, right? So that's the problem. Whenever we, we don't just stop to say, God, I am listening. So it requires that I silence my voice. And it requires that I empty myself of my own will and my own thoughts. To say, speak, I'm listening, means I'm not going to do what I want. I want to hear what you have to tell me. Right? St. Silwan says, The man who takes thought for his own welfare is unable to give himself up to God's will. So, the man who's always concerned about his own will, what's best for him, and he's preoccupied with his own welfare, he's not able to give himself up to God's will. And he says, he isn't able to do that so that his soul may have peace in God. But the humble soul is devoted to God's will and lives before him in awe and love. In awe, lest she grieve God in any way. In love, because the soul has come to know how the Lord loves us. The best thing of all is to surrender to God's will and bear affliction, having confidence in God. So I'm willing to hear God, having confidence in Him, even if I know what He says to me is going to be a tough message. right? Joseph was willing to do whatever God told him. And I don't think it's going to be this like dramatic or climactic vision that we have where God speaks to us in a dream. But, you know, he tells us in very simple ways that I, I want you to go back and reconcile with this person. Right? And that, that could be tough. That, that's a big struggle. Right? That's a part of our spiritual afflictions to endure that cross. He goes on to say, The Lord, seeing our affliction, will never give us too much to bear. If we seem to ourselves... To be greatly afflicted, it means we have not yet surrendered to the will of God. So we should be at peace with obeying His will. Otherwise, that reluctance is really our will trying to hold on. right? And I can tell you just from my own story where I, I had my life set on a certain direction, and some of you know I wanted to be a monk for several years. I played it by the books. I was following the guidance of my father of confession. And for years, almost like eight or nine years, this was my set path. And as soon as I finally had the, that opportunity to leave and I agreed with my father of confession, this was finally the time. I sold my car, I, I was done, you know, like getting ready to quit work, that was it. And it was like a set date, like I felt peace, 
and God's will was like finally coming to this uh, climactic moment where I fulfill His will, and all of a sudden I see this little curveball and God like trying to um, speak to me in a way that really confused me because I felt like something was off, but I didn't know whether this was God trying to change the path that I'm walking, or maybe it's the devil trying to distract me, or whatever. I, maybe it's like St. Anthony, whenever he was concerned about his sister, and he had to just set that off to the side and focus on his his plan to, to be a monk. So I didn't know, I was confused, but I can tell you this. The moment I went to my father's confession, and I said like, hey, I know that my conscience is convicting me and uh, I I don't know if there's like a distraction that's holding me back or God's trying to redirect my path, but I just exposed that thought to my father's confession. He said, listen, put your life in God's hands and just pray from the bottom of your heart. And once you actually do that and you tell him, my life is in your hands. Where I go is where you take me, not where I want to go. Like once I'm in your hands, I know that my life is going to be in the right direction. So take my life and direct me however you will. And really offering that prayer. And then eliminating our own thoughts, our own will and to say, I'm listening to what you reveal to me. And we can't hold on to what we subconsciously want to do. And I'm telling you, the plans that I had for eight or nine years totally changed in just two or three days. And, you know, it might be shocking to say, like, shouldn't it take a little longer for, like, a, a big change like that to actually happen? You know, maybe we should pray for weeks and months. Like, but it's not like this protocol that the bigger the situation, the longer it takes. God speaks to us in the most simple ways. The moment we actually set aside our will, it becomes clear. And we have a sense of peace. So long as we're seeking to glorify Him. And I look back and I realize God was making it very clear he wanted me to go to a different direction. And I'm not using my own life as an example because I struggle with this every day, but I can tell you the times that it works are the times when I set aside my will and I truly seek his. And I'm concerned with just glorifying him. I'm concerned with loving others. Just like Abraham, whenever he was faced with choosing one side of the land and uh, you know his his nephew Lot is like this younger kid and obviously Abraham can give him whatever land that that he wants he can choose the best land for himself and he says Lot you take that side but he goes you pick first you want to go left I'll go right you want to go up I'll go down that's how I'm going to choose I'm going to choose based on love humility and service Right? So we come to all these decisions. Which land do I take? Well, go with the decision that's most loving. Go with the decision that's most compassionate. Go with the decision 
that glorifies God the most. And it's clearly to put others before ourselves. Right? Abba Piman says, our, wo- our own will is like a wall of brass between us and God, preventing us from coming near to Him or contemplating His mercy. So, again, removing that wall, removing our will, is what gives us peace, is what gives us clarity and that sensitivity to perceive what God is desiring to tell us. He wants to communicate to us. It's not like God is saying, Unless you're attentive to your dreams and you really hear this uh, secret code or you decipher this message, then you can finally know my will. It's not how it works. God says, I want to speak to you, but just stop holding on to your own thoughts (laughs) and then it becomes very easy. So I'll leave you with a, a final thought. When it comes to actually having the assurance that we are living according to God's will. We can ask ourselves, what's what's a sign that tells us we are living according to the will of God? Not just making a decision in an event about the will of God, but living according to the will of God. So St. Silouan says, if you're distressed over anything, it means that you've not fully surrendered to God's will although it may seem to you that you live according to His will. He who lives according to God's will has no cares. If he has need of something, he offers himself and the thing he wants to God, and if he doesn't receive it, he remains as tranquil as if he had gotten what he wanted. The soul that's given over to the will of God fears nothing, neither thunder nor thieves nor any other thing. Whatever may come, such is God's pleasure, she, sh- she says. If she falls sick, she thinks, this means that I need sickness or God would not have given it. So given ourselves over to God's will, gives us this, this peace. And if we have the peace and the contentment of just accepting whatever God sends our way, if we're living according to that faith, to confide in Him, to trust that whatever He's giving us is exactly what we need, then we live with peace. That peace is the ultimate sign. Okay, And so long as you're walking, making decisions, while having that peace, not just this emotional, oh, I'm living according to what feels good to me and just satisfying my own selfish needs, but really the peace that comes from the sacrifice of love. That's a deeper inner peace that, that... we all know very well. So once we have that peace, we know that we are walking according to the will of God. Just like the Holy Family was definitely suffering throughout this long journey. It was tough. It was a big challenge. But they were full of peace to know that they are walking according to the will of God. May God give us the discernment to hear His voice and the peace to, to, to always walk according to His will, fully confident in Him and trusting Him in all things. And to Him is due all glory forever and ever. Amen.